0: All right, well, welcome again. And we are in the Choose Your Own Topic series. Uh, We've been working through this the last couple of weeks, and we did a, a request. A couple of weeks ago, and asked because of my schedule got you know mixed around and asked all of you what you wanted to do, and I got seven or eight really good uh, suggestions of message topics to do. And so the series that we're in is the Choose Your Own Topic series. Uh, we're going to be doing tonight. I'm a new Christian now. What submitted by Scott? Scott put this in and uh, asked uh, that was his suggestion of a topic to do. I'm a new Christian now. What in the past if you've been here or haven't been here the last couple of weeks? Um, Diane asked about. About what exactly happens after we die. Uh, that was a really good one. We did that one last week. Um, and I, I'm going to make that one available with, by DVD too. If you guys, anybody wants it, um, uh, just let me know and that one will be available. Um, I'm try to have it done by next week. We talked about what? We talked about how do we get the Holy Spirit. That's the one Dennis asked about. Um, we talked about victory in Jesus. That's the one Helen asked about. So tonight we're going to do I'm a New Christian, Now What? Uh, for many of us, uh, I know BVC, and I know a lot of people have... Uh, no, a certain percentage, when I say a lot, of percentage of us have come to faith in BVC or certainly rededicated their life. Here at this church, and so um, a lot of people are asking. You know, what do I do with my life now? Now that I'm a Christian, now what do I do? And I hear that question a lot. And tonight we're going to talk about this issue. And I thought about it as I was preparing for this. I know what the standard pastor approach to this question is, and so I wanted to do something a little different than sort of the standard approach because I feel like if I do the standard approach. That some of you have at least heard it before and it will seem kind of boring and blasé. And it also misses the bigger picture. So I wanted to really focus on this bigger picture of what, it, what do we do or really who do we become now that we are a Christian. Our eight week series then, Choose Your Own Topic. We've been working through this and today we're going to look at what to do now that you're a Christian. I'm going to argue tonight that it's not so much what you do that matters but who you become. Who you are in Christ is more important than what you do, although doing is an aspect of it. But, as we're going to talk about, it's easy to put the doing in front of the becoming. And what we want to do is put the becoming first and the doing second. Okay, so let's talk about this. We're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to look at three different passages um, here tonight. And uh, just uh, I developed three ideas just to make it even. Uh, three simple ideas about things that we want to do once we become a believer. I know that some of you have been a believer for a long time. And it's easy for you to think, well, this message won't apply to me. But I was also thinking about that as I was developing it as well. So I think that even if you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years, I believe it will still be applicable to you in some areas. Um, And certainly it's applicable to you as you're trying to encourage people, invite them to church, tell them about who Jesus is, and encourage them towards their um choosing to follow christ so we're gonna see what the bible says three ideas here real quickly tonight uh it's gonna be easy message so sit back relax it's not gonna be you know terribly it's not gonna be like purgatory like last week right uh number one is this let's talk let's get started number one is this that if Now that we are a believer, now that we are a follower of Christ, we should be excited about what God has done. That we should be excited about what God has done. Listen, when we come and we are faced with the choice of choosing God or rejecting Him, and our lives is not perfect, and we have struggles, and we have issues, and we have the opportunity to accept God and to take the blessing that He has for us, to to commit our lives to Jesus, that should be really exciting. I mean, there should be an element of excitement, there should be an element of of us feeling good about that decision um, there should be some just passion in our lives for god let me just start there and ask a question. Do you have passion in your life for God? Is there some passion somewhere? Is there some excitement? When you become a new Christian, uh, a brand new Christian, um, that period, that honeymoon phase is often marked by being what? By being really excited, really passionate about God, right? You're like, wow, I'm a Christian now and like God loves me and it's like awesome and I, I, I sort of even feel him loving me and you know, I go around and I tell my friends I made this decision and our friends say, <laughs> you re- religious nut, why'd you do that? You know, sort of thing. And, and, but we're still really excited about it. And, and when, we, when we come and we commit our lives to Christ, or even when we rededicate our lives to Christ, that it's really important that we're excited about what God has done. Let's talk about why that is. The Bible says this, and we'll look at Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. And here's what the Bible says. This is Paul speaking here. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Paul is saying that nothing in the world can separate us from God's love. That should excite us. That should make us feel a little bit passionate. You know, Paul used this idea of angels and demons and then also the struggles of this world. The thing is, is that no matter what we face, nothing in our world, nothing in our universe can separate us from the love of God. Paul uses hyperbole here because he's saying no matter how big we can imagine it, no matter how small it may be, nothing can separate us from the love of God that comes through Christ Jesus. Once we become a believer, we want to be able to be excited. We want to be able to be passionate. We want to be able to be joyous because God has done something remarkable in our lives. There should be some joy. There should be some passion let's talk about how that passion and that joy will develop over time if you have chosen Christ then you are secure now this is one of the things that uh, comes up quite regularly which is this is that once a person becomes a believer a lot of times they ask well how do I know I'm a believer and and how do I know I'm still a believer and and how does all this you know kind of fit together well one of the things that always happens is that when almost always in most people's case when they become a believer You know, they have that moment in time. They're really excited. They make a decision to follow Jesus. And there's usually a honeymoon phase where they feel really excited about God. And they're, you know, they're out there and they're sharing their faith. They don't think about it because it's just, it's just sort of natural, just the way it feels right to do. But then one month, three months, six months after, after that decision is made, what happens? Well, doubt sometimes comes into play. You know, we start thinking, you know, how do I know I really made a decision? How do I know God really exists? How do I know that that smooth-talking pastor didn't just convince me to follow Jesus, but well, I don't really even know anything about Jesus. I can't see Him. I can't touch Him. I mean, I thought by being a Christian, my life would be better. It'd be perfect. I still have my mortgage. I still have my taxes. I still have my, my family issues. My kids still are a struggle. I thought everything was supposed to be perfect, and now it's not. And so, struggle... And the cares of this world come into play, and it's very easy for those cares to be very destructive. You know, let me just give you an example, because Paul says here, and using that, this hyperbole, this idea of nothing, no matter how big or how small, can separate us from the love of God. You know, he gives the, the, the big picture things, angels and demons and powers and stuff. None of that can separate from the love of God. But he also says something very interesting, which is even the cares of this world, Cannot separate us from the love of God. But who also talked about the cares of the world, right? If you remember the parable of the soils, right? One of the big things that sweeps people away from God is what? Demons, right? No, I mean they can, but one of the big issues that sweeps people away from God is what? The cares of this world. The day-to-day struggles of this world. If you think about it, people abandon God and they abandon church more often than not because they trade it for what? They trade it for their jobs. They trade it for other people. They trade it for their selfish desires. They trade it to play Xbox 24-7 over the weekend. They trade it to be able to have more money so that they can go to Santana Row and spend it. They trade the treasures of God, the blessings of God for the cares of this world. And it is a loss for them. But if you've really chosen Christ, then you are secure. You know, people wonder, how do I know that when I've really, so- I've really chosen God, that I really do have salvation? Well, let me give you some examples. And I know this is somewhat debated, but I'll just give you my opinion from Scripture. I mean, we choose to know God. Right, But at the same time, the Bible also says that God selects us too. That he chooses us. Even before the beginning of the world, that he has chosen us. And so even though that we have to choose God, God also chooses us. And that when we are selected and chosen by God, that when when that happens, there's nothing that can really pull us away. I mean, we talked two weeks ago about how the Holy Spirit seals us towards salvation. And so that when we commit our lives to Jesus, that the seal of God is stamped on our lives by the Holy Spirit. Nothing can rip that seal away once once God has truly sealed us for salvation. If you have chosen Christ, then you are secure. You know, one of the big issues that Christians struggle with is doubt. How many of you struggle with doubt? Um, Let me do this differently than the first one. How many struggle with doubt? Okay, then I know that 98% of you are not being honest with me tonight. Because we all struggle with doubt. I struggle with doubt. Can I just be the first one to raise my hand? All of you struggle with doubt too. You know, here's the funny thing about doubt. I'm going to argue tonight that doubt actually is a positive thing for faith. You know why? A long time ago, there used to be an evangelist that used to go around the United States. And I'm not sure if he's dead yet. Uh, He was very old. And he had sort of a very broken idea about faith. And he would tell people that if you've ever doubted your salvation, it means you're not saved, you're not a Christian, and you need to come up and join his ministry make a decision tonight with his ministry. But that's not true, and and I'll tell you why. Because the average non-Christian doesn't sit at home when they get off from work and doubt about whether God loves them and doubt about how they can really live their lives for Jesus and doubt about whether Jesus can do all the things that he said in their lives. The average non-Christian worries about stuff. But they don't doubt because they don't struggle with the same issues. When we're a believer in Jesus, we worry. We, we, we say, oh God, do something in my life. God, I cry out to you. God, I, I'm not sure what you're going to do. I, I have struggles. I have doubts about how you can do something in my life. But I'm calling out to you. The fact that we doubt God and we call out to God is a sign that we are a believer. Not a sign that we're not a believer. Non-Christians don't do that. Non-Christians just worry about in the Jiminy Cricket sort of you know, conscience way whether or not this or that is what they should do, and they go on about their lives. They don't anguish over knowing God. The only people who anguish over knowing God is the people who know God in some capacity. So if you become a believer in Christ and you have some doubts... Welcome to the club because we all have doubts and you're going to have doubts when you get older and you've been in the faith for longer uh, and you've been a more and more, you know, committed believer in Christ. Your, your doubts will change, but you will still have them. You will still struggle with them because we're wrestling with God to know him personally. We're going to develop this more in a second. If you've chosen Christ then you are secure, let me argue for something else, too, that may not always be popular. But um, I know that a couple of people uh, that have started coming to BVC they've asked me about this. They're worried that they're backsliding so far that they can lose their salvation. Personally, I don't believe that's possible. I don't think that you can backslide so far that you lose it. Maybe you were never a believer to begin with. But you know how I know that? Because if you take someone who said that they were a Christian, you know, they were up front in church or they were a deacon or they were elder and they were praised the Lord for a certain portion of their lives and then they rebelled against it and they rejected it and they did something totally different. And 20 years from now, you find that person, and you'll find out real quickly whether or not they were a believer or not. Because, first of all, by that point in time, if they really were a believer, they probably are back doing what God wants them to do. But even if not, you, can, you know how you want to tell whether a person is a believer? You cut open their heart. Not literally, figuratively. You cut open their heart, and you find out whether they are worried about themselves or whether they're anguishing over doing what God wants them to do, even if they're failing, even if they're failing to do what God wants them to do, you find out where their anguish and their heart is, you will find out who they are a child of. You know, look at David. I mean, you know, King David was not a very good guy for a whole phase of his life, right? He was a king, he was abusing his power, he was, you know, adulterer, he was a murderer. I mean, did a whole bunch of nasty stuff. If you had just looked at that one little snippet, it would be easy to say, oh no, he's a backslider, he's totally out of it, he's not secure. But you know what? The problem is, even in David's worst worst time, he anguished over knowing God. And he anguished over his sins. You know, I have to tell you, I know that that non-believers have a conscience. And I know that they feel bad when they do what's wrong. But when a believer does what's wrong, the Holy Spirit grieves inside of them and challenges them to live differently. And a Christian is always at war with himself to get rid of all the junk and all the stuff that he was bound to before he accepted Christ as Savior and able to move forward in some capacity in his life. So if you have chosen Christ, then you are secure. I mean, if God has truly selected you and you have truly chosen Him, how are we saved, right? It's grace grace. Through faith. It's all grace. It's all an act of God. It's nothing that we do. But we take hold of God's grace by our faith. Yes, faith does lead to doubt. Faith leads to, you know, sort of the struggle of I can't see God, I can't touch God. But... When we choose and truly choose to follow God and truly choose to have relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, nothing in this world can separate us from God's love. Nothing. It doesn't matter what it is, how big, how small, nothing can separate us from God's love when we are sealed to salvation by Him. Now, one of the things that we've talked about here in the past, one of the issues that comes up, um, is this, which is the Bible, if you look at in the original language, a lot of times in us Protestant churches we get used to the idea that salvation is a quick decision like this. It's automatic sort of thing. Once you jump on it, uh, you got it. And, and there's an element of truth to that. I mean, the Bible says in Romans ten nine through 10 and onward, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, then you will be rescued, then you will be set right with God. But at the same time, a lot of times the Bible does refer to salvation as a process. I know that seems weird to some of us who are raised in Protestant churches, but in the original language it's true. It really does say that it's a process. And so when we go through life, that we, we take hold of salvation, but we also are working out our salvation, as the Bible says, with fear and trembling, as we go through life, that we are completing it, we are, in, we are engaging in it if we are a believer in Christ. You know... The Bible, as we've also talked about before, in the original language doesn't use the word saint. There's no saint in the Bible, okay? So just rip that word out of your vocabulary because I don't want to say it's useless, but it's probably largely useless. What does the Bible say in the original language about the, when, where it supposedly says saint? It says holy one or one who is being made holy. What does holy mean? It means like being made like God. So when the Bible describes our lives as believers, it means that we are being made like God. We are being made in His image, in His perfectness, in His perfection. That we are being made like that. And that's what the Christian life is going to be like. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it's going to be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. You know, uh, as time goes on, you're going to have good days and bad days. Um, There's no guarantee in Scripture that just because you become a believer that you're going to have great days every day or that you're going to be wealthy. I mean, I'm a pastor. I have lots of terrible days. And I'm poor. Also, let me just add that in too. But I have lots of terrible days. I have lots of bad days. You have lots of bad days? Yes, we all have lots of bad days. It's not a faith thing. It has nothing to do with faith. We have bad days because we live in a sinful, broken world. In fact, let me, let me describe it to you like this. A lot of baby Christians view their world their life in this world as somehow indicative of or related to their relationship with god if they have a bad day oh it's because god doesn't love them but that's ridiculous listen if my wife and i get in our car and we decide that we're going to go eat in fremont tonight and it wouldn't be me driving just for the record it'd be my wife driving but we're driving along and we get into an accident. Fender bender, you know, she hits somebody's car. Again, that wouldn't be me, be her driving, right? Um, and uh, finally, thank you, one laugh. All right, good. That's true, okay? But, um, you know, I'm going to be upset with her because we got an accident, right? But does that really change the nature of our relationship? It shouldn't, right, guys? Come on, if your wife does it, just forgive her, Okay. I know it's hard, all right? But it don't change the nature of the relationship. It's just a bad day. That's all it is. And as a believer in Jesus, we're going to have lots of bad days, not because it has anything to do with God or His Son, but because of the sin-broken world that we live in. That's the source of our bad days. And our bad days should just simply challenge us to live for the Lord more, to live more for Him and to be more excited about Him. We, um, we all face it. I mean, as a pastor, I have bad days, you know, and there are a lot of not very fun days. You guys have not very fun days but we turn it all over to God and we're excited because nothing can separate us from His love. Second idea, real quickly, is be willing to work hard. Now, this is the tough one because for us to really be committed to God, we must be willing to work hard in our relationship with God. It's not sufficient. It's not enough for us to just say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian now. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. Things are going to be great, but we must be willing to work hard. Now, this is the part in the message where something usually happens when you begin to talk about um, working hard once you become a Christian. Because what ends up happening is the list. Let me tell you about the list. If you became a believer um, in most churches, now that you're a believer, someone will pull you aside, pastor somebody, elder, and say, okay, here's what you need to do now. And they give you a list of things to do, right? Right? That list is not bad, but let's, let's pull that apart just a little bit here tonight. First of all, how many of you are list people? How many of you make lists to write down things you need to do? Some of you? Okay, good. We're starting to get some more honesty going here tonight. Okay, very good. Honesty is always a good thing. Now, I make lists, okay? Uh, but I'm not, I I always wish, you know what my dream is? I could get this golden scroll where I could just put down all my lists in one place and keep it organized in one place and I could cross it off and look back in the past and see that I, you know, accomplished stuff. But I'm terrible at that. And I have ended up having like, At any point in time, I have between three and 30 little scraps of paper around the house in different places with things to do on it, right? Because I could just never seem to get them in the same place. And my concern is, is that when a person becomes a believer, that the church will, with good intentions, do the wrong thing by giving them yet another list of things to do, right? When they go to work, their boss gives them a list of things to do. When you come home, your wife gives you a list of things to do. Um, Your kids generally have a list of things for you to do, or at least buy them. And now here suddenly the pastor's giving you a list of things to do. And what happens to all these do lists? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want to come to church now because I have to do. What do I have to do? All right, now that I'm a Christian, do. You have to come to church regularly, right? Every Sunday be in church. Uh, You have to read your Bible every day. You have to pray every day. You have to uh, serve at church or maybe a parachurch ministry. You have to be involved in ministry. You have to give. Oh my goodness, I've got to give a tithe. Wow. Um, Then you could go on. Those are the big five probably, but um, you know, you should somehow be involved in helping those who are less fortunate than yourselves. Um, I mean, you could just go on and on and on. We could come up with a really, really long list. And, And somewhere in that doing, we lose something. Because even though it is critical that when a person becomes a believer that they go to church, it's critical that they read the Bible. It's critical that they pray. It's necessary. It's, there's too much of a danger that it becomes about doing. And that by doing, we fail. Because we just can't do it. Because we've got so busy lives. And we let the cares of the world seep in and pull us away from the Lord. Let's talk about this for a second. The Bible says this in Second Timothy I'm going to read 3 through 5 and then jump down to 15. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. So here Paul gives an example from business, i.e. farm. Uh, He gives an example from sports. And he gives an example from military to give an example of our need to work hard. And then he says, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. A- and so what happens is, is that when we, you know, when we work, when, when, we, when we become a Christian, something's got to change in our lives. But let's talk about how that's supposed to happen. Let me rewind for a second. Choosing to know God is only the beginning. It would be wonderful if when we chose to know God and we committed our lives to Him that from then on out, everything would be perfect. You know, rainbows and lollipops, awesome, right? That would be cool. But it's not because it doesn't work that way because we live in a sinful, we live in a broken world. We live in a messed up world. Choosing to know God is only the beginning. You know, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses and the church has always used to describe what happens when we make a commitment and we go through the process of working out our salvation with fear and trembling is to be refined as gold in fire, right? You've probably heard that before. Maybe you've sung the song in church and stuff. But you know what? Here's the thing. Gold and other precious metals, they don't get dug out of the ground as gold, do they? They come out as ore, Ore is not very attractive. Ore is very ugly. In fact, if I gave my wife a ring with a big piece of ore on it, she would slap me because it would be ugly. When we become a believer in Christ, you are not gold. You are ore. Some of you are more ugly ore than others, but that's another topic for another time. We're all ore we are all not very, very, very pure or very perfect. But God's desire is to turn us as ore into gold or silver, platinum, white gold, whatever you ladies like. Um, But to do something dramatic in our lives that we will leave behind the ore and we will turn into a precious metal for the Lord. So it's only the beginning. We have a lifetime to be transformed and it's really important that we go through that transformation process. You know, uh, I was asking folks this morning to do the invite a friend, and several people said that they, put, they, they invited their friends, their friends came, but their friends picked up on one thing that I say, and they always seem to do this. I always pick up on one thing, which is a lot of times I'll tell people, honestly, going to church will not save you, because it won't. It's just an act. It's a work. It's, it's faith that saves you. God's grace through our faith, that, that saves a person. And so that, those people, again, as the person commented me, said, Pastor, you said that you don't have to go to church, so now they're saying... To... They missed the point. Because they want to remain as or, and do what they want to, in the hopes that when they die, somehow they'll just magically be good enough to get into heaven. But the Bible says that's not the way it's going to be at all. Choosing to know God is only the beginning. I mean... You guys have probably seen the show Biggest Loser, right? You guys seen Biggest Loser? They have like these people like 400 pounds and uh, they, make them, they make them get down to as skinny as possible and they go from like 400 pounds to like 150 pounds in like a couple weeks, you know? And it would be awesome if that's the way it really is in real life, but those people are actually are working 24-7 to lose weight. I mean, they're giving them very little food and they are working they are working in the gym all day long, all the time to be able to lose that weight. You know, like uh, during beach season, right? You know, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can lose 30 pounds in a week, right? And some of you ladies are like, I'd like to lose a few pounds. Can I lose 30 pounds in one week? You know, is that possible uh, to be healthy? No, you know, it's not. It takes a lot of hard work. And the problem is, is that if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus, it's going to require some hard work on our part. But let me say this. The truth is, it's not so much what you do as it is who you become. Let me say that again. It's not as much what you do as who it is that you become. Listen, when you become a believer, it is true that you should go to church. It is true that you should read your Bible every day. It is true that it is critical that you pray every day. It's critical that you give. And it's critical that you serve. All those things are absolutely critical. But they are not the main thing that transforms you into the image of God. You know what it is? You know the biggest part of what transforms a person into the image of God? It's knowing God personally. It is knowing and relating to God. And the ways that we can do that, by the way, is prayer and Bible and stuff like that. But it's knowing God and relating to Him that is most transformative in our lives. It is seeing God with our spiritual eyes, knowing Him, understanding Him, that will make the biggest impact to turn you from ore, me too, turn us from ore into gold or silver or platinum. It's not so much what you do, it's who you become. So when we talk about these things, yes, it's absolutely critical that we do these, but God is more desirous of your heart and knowing you above all else. You know one of the things that happens when a person becomes a believer a lot of times in our type of church? maybe not your type of church, but the type of church that this is right here, is that they come in and they become a believer and they think, okay, now it's time to be mature. So they go in the very back and they sit in the far back pew. Oh, I don't have anybody. Nobody's in the back pew tonight. Okay, this morning is Ishmael. I was like, everybody's like Ishmael sitting in the back. He's mature. He's quiet. But he's also doing what? Rotting to death spiritually spiritually. Not Ishmael specifically, but the person who thinks that being a mature Christian is about sitting in the pew and just going through the motions. That's one of the struggles, because instead of knowing God, we just go through the motions. We, okay, pastor says I have to read the Bible every day. Fine. I'm going to read one verse, check it off my list every day. I'm going to have it on my iPhone while I'm driving to work. Okay, I did it, pastor. It's off my list, right? I'm good, I'm gold, I'm going to be in gold. No, but that's not what it is. It is about us knowing and relating to God. So yes, it's critical that we do those things, but the doing has to be below the becoming. The being has to be greater than the doing because the being is the person that God wants you to be and he wants to turn you into that person. It's not so much what you do, it's who you become. By the way, let me give an example. Uh, The Bible tells us that when we choose God we change our citizenship. And I'm going to use an example. No one got mad at me first two services, so if you get mad at me here, you'll just have to let me know, Uh, but it's too late. Um, But let let me me suggest to you something. The Bible says that when we become a follower of Jesus, that our citizenship is transformed and transferred from the, the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, that we are now a citizen of heaven, right? That's what the Bible says. And you know what? We renounce our citizenship in this world, and we become a citizen of heaven. Many of you, by the way, were a citizen of another country. You renounced that citizenship, and you became a citizen of the U.S., or at least you have a visa to work here, or whatever the case may be. Let me ask you a question. The people who renounce and leave the citizenship of one land and come and be a citizen in the other land, they have two options. They can, number one, come to the new land and learn the language. They can learn the culture. They can try to fit in. They can try to have friends. They can try to do good. They can try to figure out how they can be a good part of that society. Or they can refuse to do all those things and just live in their house and never do anything as a new citizen of that land. Which person is more successful? The one that tries to... To gain the culture and language and understanding and civic responsibility of their new citizenship, or the one that sits at home and just thinks more about their old country? Which one's more successful? Many Christians become Christians and they spend all their time thinking about the old country rather than embracing their new citizenship, rather than learning the language and customs and traditions and civic responsibility of being a citizen of heaven. They worry about the past. They worry about the cares of this world. Do you have to worry about your mortgage and your taxes and your doctor's appointment and your dentist appointment and your kids this and school this and PTA this? Yeah, you've got to worry about that stuff. But when the push comes to shove and when you think about your day, are you realizing that you as a believer in Christ now are a citizen of heaven and that what God wants in your life has to take priority over all those other things. It's a priority of position. Pride of place is another way of saying it. Because we're giving God, because we're now a citizen of heaven, we're giving Him pride of place in our lives. We're allowing Him to be king. We're dealing with what God wants to do first in our lives, and everything else becomes secondary. Are we living as citizens of this world, or are we living as citizens of heaven when we become a believer in Christ? Thirdly, This is real quick. I really just have one thing to say, even though it'll probably take me 800 sentences to do it. But is this. Third thing is, not only do we, when we become a Christian, should we be excited about what God has done, and should we be willing to work hard, but also we should be open to God's movement in our lives. The Bible says this. In uh, Luke, this is Jesus speaking here. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. That doesn't mean if you ask God for a Ducati or a Cadillac for some of you, you know, that he's just going to open up the door of heaven. It's going to drop down on your front lawn. Talking about when we seek God and we ask to know him and to be in passionate relationship with him, that he will open the doors to our lives. Listen, don't wait. If you're a new Christian or you rededicate your life, don't wait for a sign for heaven to what to do. You don't need a sign from heaven to know what to do. First of all, I'm not saying that signs from heaven never happen. Some of you experienced a sign from heaven. Some of you have experienced a sign from heaven at some point in your life. I certainly have at one juncture in my life. You know what? But we don't look for those every day. Why? First of all, God has given you better than a sign, but a whole book that you can read and that you can understand what you're supposed to do with your life. You know, people come to me for counseling. And I know I'm going to get less counseling after saying this in three services now, but people come to me counseling. They say, Pastor, my life's messed up. What do I do here? And I'm like, do you read the Bible at all? Not quite as bluntly as that. But they're like, no, I've never read it. (laughs) Honestly, there's not really much I can do. All I can be is a band-aid at that point because unless you're, I mean, if you're trying to live life without ever reading the rule book of life, I mean, it's like you saying you want to learn football. You've never seen it, never played it, and come to me and ask me how to play football. I don't know how to tell you what a fullback is, middle linebacker, uh, wildcat formation. I don't know how to tell you those things. It's not easy. Maybe Gabe can, but I can't, right? We're just joking. Listen, the other reason why you don't need a sign from heaven, is because it'll never be big enough. You'll say, I want a sign from heaven, and you have the Bible. You, I want a sign from heaven, and the pastor's yelling at you, hello, hello, wake up. I want a sign from heaven, and it's neon, and it's over the interstate. You don't really say, I want a sign from heaven, and it's huge in the sky, and it doesn't matter, because it's still not big enough. Because most people who become Christians, the majority, quote unquote, become Christians, end up becoming very mature, sitting on the back pew, never saying anything, and rotting in that place. Because no amount of God's pushing on them will ever change them to get them out there involved in what God wants to do. Listen, 90% of people who sit in churches anywhere in the world, including BVC, Will, are not truly open to God's will. We're not. 90% are not truly open to God's will. You know how I know that? Because if God said, I'm just using one example, just one example, it's just an example, I'm not saying do this, but if tomorrow, I picked on Dennis, the first two, I'll do it. In the, if tomorrow God said, all of us, let's get involved in what's going on in the mask of Nicaragua, some of us are going to go down there, some of us are going to stay here. We're all going to work to make the churches grow there, to do evangelism, revival crusade, uh, you know, the the dig the wells, feed the people, all of it. That's your mission. You know what? 90% of the people would say well, yeah, but, you know, I've got ai can't do that, Pastor, because I, you know, I've got work, and my kids are, i got soccer practice, and, you know, I don't speak the language, and I, yeah, but, 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 I mean, realistically, 90% of Christians around the world are yeah, but people. That when God comes to them, it's yeah, but. Rather than just, yeah. So, here's the question. We learn bad habits because we're concerned when we become Christians about doing the right thing. And instead of doing the right thing, we need to become the right person. We need to be excited about what God wants to do in our lives. We need to work hard so that we will go from being ore to being gold. They will be transformed into God's image. But even more importantly, that when God speaks, we will listen and obey Him. That we won't yeah but Him to death, but that we will just say yeah. That whatever it is that God calls, no matter how crazy, no matter how unusual, no matter how small and unimportant it may be, that we will just simply say yeah to God. You'll decide when you become a brand new Christian within probably a short span of time, whether you end up rotting in the back pew, a yeah, but Christian, or whether you are excited and will choose whatever God says, no matter how unusual it may be. And so my prayer for you is that you will choose the latter, that you will be the one who says yeah to God, not yeah, but. That you will be excited, that you will be working hard to secure not just your salvation because you have that, but to secure your place in god's kingdom that you will serve him without any doubt or without any issue and that when you look back over your life your life will not just be uh really ugly ore to sort of still really ugly ore 40 years later or 80 years later when you die but you will go from really ugly ore to really beautiful gold because of what god has done over the course of your life let's pray father we just come before you tonight lord and we pray that that's our prayer that we would not just be satisfied with the minimum that we would be satisfied only with the maximum for you lord that we would be committed to doing whatever you call us to do father yes it's it is an indictment on the church because so many of us are just not willing to just respond to you with a yeah and i know it's hard and we're not saying it's easy but god i just pray that each of us would be really excited and we'd be willing to work hard and we would just respond to you whatever you say father i pray for each person here tonight that you would just challenge them in their faith, allow them to grow deeper, allow them to grow stronger. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.